Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. On this show right now, we're sitting live at Horticon, Greg. Horticon right, Lighting Denver. Tech 2019. We're invited by Maury Wright, the editor-in-chief of LEDs Magazine and also the host of this event. Yeah, for sure. It's a good event, something unique that uh, I like to see in lighting because a lot of stuff is so general. This is focused. Yeah, yeah, say, yeah, hey, man, this is all we're going to talk about is horticultural lighting. And that's what they did, and they did a good job of it. So we uh, inter- just interviewed Dr. Neil Matson, Associate Professor Cornell, and GLASE. I forgot what GLASE is, but it means like a whole bunch of people that are smart getting together talking about horticultural lighting. It was like greenhouse, uh, the Greenhouse yeah. Lighting and Systems Engineering Consortium. There you go. So he's part of Glaze, and we had a great interview with him. And before we go to that interview, we're going to do just a little bit of a recap here. But before we even do that, double before. Oh, we got to go to SATCO.com, SACO.com. We do the light thing. We do the right thing. What do you got to say about SACO right now, Greggy? SACO, full-line lighting distributor, someone you can count on. They've been in business a long time. Quality product, great pricing, great offering. I mean, everything you ask for in a lighting distributor, they have today. Yeah, they tr- and they support distribution. Exactly. And we're starting to see some people not do that as much. Ooh. It's a whole other topic we'll dive into yeah, later. Dive in later, yeah. Satco does. Satco.com. That's S-A-T-C-O.com. We do the light thing. We do the right thing. Check them out, folks. So before we get to Dr. Matson's interview, Greg, mm-hmm. what did you, you take from Horticon? I, what I took is a lot of, you know, most of it was from our discussions. Hortican, sorry, Hortican. Hortican. Keep saying is that, it's can, Hortican. LED is really the only way to go with this. I don't know why anybody still considers any other technology in this field. HPS works, bro. I know it does, but I just don't know why anybody would. So does LED. Ah. And if you can do it more efficiently. <clears throat> you know, how many, people do, how many people do we have on the live streams and the shows today that said there's a lot of snake oil scam artists out there? Oh, there are, yeah. So, so the right LED works. Yeah. So if you can find the right LED, just do it. We're wasting your time with this high-pressure sodium crap. I don't know if the high-pressure sodium is crap, man. I think, I, think that, I think that it's proven and reliable, and you've got replaceable bulbs if something fails. So buy high-pressure sodium from you and LED from me. Well, well, is that what you want? This is a double-ended <laughs> high-pressure sodium is a big innovation there, buddy. <laughs> double-ended. No, you had the double I mean, you know, it's one of those things where it's uh, it's a double notch tough to change because HPS is doing something and they don't know exactly what HPS is doing to help the growing. If they could tell us what it what it is that makes HPS good, it'd be a good start. Yeah, but nobody can. Nobody could. Yeah. Nobody could say to me why HPS is good, right? Yeah. But you, you see where all the R&D is going, though, is to LED in this. Everybody's going that route. Sure, there'll, there'll be some HPS, but at some point, it's all going to be LED. Well, you, you saw that. You saw some mix. They had HPS LED systems together. True. Like he was talking about LED with HPS, like a couple HPS fixtures mixed in. Just slam them in there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how much LEDs oh. are big HPS? Oh, you, you, want, you actually want them to grow? Put some high-pressure sodiums in. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a side? Um, I don't know about that, but yeah. That, no, that's what they were talking that's about. That's what they were, yeah. And you know, the other thing that it was is like it's 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 almost like there needs – it's not a distributor thing. There needs to be an emergence of people that are indoor agricultural technicians or something, and they deal with HVAC. They deal with – um. Lighting, they deal with moisture, they deal with water control, they deal with the soil, it's like everything. That's right. So, for right now, I think that's a good recap of Hortican Light and Tech 2019, or Tech and Light, what is it, Light and Tech? Hortican Light, Te- Light and Tech Conference. Cannabis, ornamentals, fruits, vegetables. And there will be, in addition to this, another five or so that we live stream that will be linked. 
and that's where you can really hear more about this. Yeah, we uh, we actually did some live streaming here from the from the uh, Sheraton downtown Denver. We made it. Props out. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to those are going to be linked in this, this show as well, so you'll be able to click on those YouTube and and watch it out, right, Scotty? That's Got the it. plan. That's a thumbs up. <laughs> so check out for right now. We got Dr. Neil Matson of Cornell University on the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Of course, National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Come on, man. Our show's coming up, 19th to 23rd, Biloxi. Dr. Matson in April. Uh, Dr. Matson right now on Get a Grip on Lighting. Is, is it Dr. or uh, Dr. Neil Matson? You can call me Dr. Okay. Yeah, it is Dr. <laughs> All right, Dr. Neil Matson, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Right, very happy to be here. Say hi to Greg Eric. Hey, how's it going? Good. Greg? Thanks for being here. Mm-hmm. So I, I often talk about in the lighting industry, Dr. Matt, Matson, these cycles, and there's kind of like you you start hearing about an industry a lot, and there'll be a push of innovation, then it'll it'll collapse, and then it'll have to restart. Mm-hmm. It seems mm-hmm. like horticultural lighting has been through a couple cycles with LED now, right? Where right. there's been companies coming in, like it's maybe around 2009, 10ish. Mm-hmm. A lot of companies came in and started making horticultural lights, and then a lot of them exited the business or went bankrupt or different things like that. And there seemed like there was a bit of a surge a couple years ago and then it kind of petered out a little bit a lot of the a lot of the incumbents continued to use hps right right you yeah. know mm-hmm. and then there seems to be another drive at it now is 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 is, is, is am i right about that that kind of that that yeah the, the industry kind of gets cycles. behind it yeah, yeah there's a and, cycle and like you say maybe 10 years ago eight years ago um there were lots of it was kind of early days for led technology sure. and i think they weren't quite able to deliver um, th- what growers needed at that time mm. and in a more energy efficient way. Yeah. Um, and then, so there was some consolidation and then um, lighting technology really caught up. Um, energy efficiency actually got better. Um, and then um, difficulties were the high initial cost of the product. And so then companies were looking for ways to uh, uh, deliver higher quality um, uh, crops. Uh, so beyond just like like biomass that you would get per crop mm. or yield, like what are other benefits that more sophisticated could do? metrics? Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. And so I think what we're seeing in this market is um, companies that uh, can can deliver not just a product but help a producer use it most effectively and mm. like work with them and respond to their needs. Mm. Like those are the ones I'm seeing being more successful in the market currently what is a metric that we can use to define what is good i know there's multiple but lumens per watt a lot of times is on traditional led right right yeah for horticulture led i think you mentioned it's something about kilo yeah so so uh, we use micromoles per joule (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is which is our par efficacy so our photosynthetically active radiation efficacy so that tells us you know how much light output there is in terms of what the plants can use Mm. per unit of energy Um, and then a little bit of what i what i talked about this morning was expanding that to actually crop performance under a given lighting regime which i called biomass efficacy Yes, biomass yeah that's what i remember yes so that biomass efficacy would be like grams of saleable how much edible strawberries yeah yeah per kilowatt hour of electricity and you had those three those six samples of the two different um ones you did Mm -hmm. where you had the strawberries at the bottom and i think it was kale at the top or something Mm -hmm. i can't remember it was a leafy plant at the top and you could see that when done right the leds actually did produce more biomass 
That's right. Yeah. So we looked at um, kale in a field, in a greenhouse, and under soil source lighting, and specifically looking at some eye health pigments. Um, and we were able to see under kind of soil source lighting done right, we actually had higher concentration of these these eye health pigments. Yeah. Is that a number that will improve as technology improves, or is it kind of it is what it is and you just have to get to that. Yeah, so so biomass efficacy will will continue to improve just as um, LEDs improve in their energy okay. efficiency. So that's that's one way. And then as we better understand how to deliver what the plant needs without like stressing the plant too much, mm-hmm. um, we'll also be seeing higher yields. So that's a number that I hope and I think will keep pushing up and up. Yeah, and, and the LEDs beat traditional lighting sources across the board. On that, right? so I would. We looked at a limited number of environments, so I I wouldn't be able to wholesale say that that narrow wave band lighting is always more efficacious than um, uh, broad band lighting like high pressure sodium light. Okay, mm-hmm. but under those studies, yes, yeah. And you you had some stats on the board, but just for the people that weren't in the presentation, what is the percentage of lighting right now that is LED in a horticulture environment versus traditional? That's right. That's right. So our numbers come from a, a 2017 report by the Department of Energy. That's a long time in, ago in the lighting world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which um, they are working on an updated report. It may come out. I'm not sure if it'll come out by year end or, or early next year. Um, but uh, at that time, two percent of greenhouse lit air area was uh, LEDs and the okay. rest were HID lights. Um, and then it, under soul source lighting, which would be common in um, uh, cannabis production, um, 4% of lit area was LEDs. Um, and then the rest was mainly HID lights and a bit with flora, fluorescent lights. So. I, you know, I have uh, I sat beside a guy in a plane who um, was the CEO of a company that had six or seven different facilities where they grew cannabis. Mm-hmm. And he was completely convinced that HPS was the only answer. <laughs> I yeah. think that, um, and I can't speak to cannabis specifically yeah. with my position at, at Cornell, um, but overall, I would say it, it's one thing to deliver the same quantity of light using mm-hmm. different lighting sources. Sure. But you also have to think about how else that affects the environment. Yeah, so, so he was talking about the mm-hmm. heat and the moisture created by, right, by, the, right. by the, using the, the way they did the water and the way they watered mm-hmm. it and the heat from the HF, HPS. And he thought that all, that all contributed to the process of growing it, although he couldn't speak right. technically to it. And I know in, in our more like typical or like, uh, ed- like vegetable greenhouse crops sure. in the northern climate, um, HPS was was the standard and has been the standard for a long time. And that was kind of built into um, determining the heating needs for a greenhouse. And so yeah. you could count on, say, a third of your heating needs coming from your lighting source. Sure. And so you would install a smaller boiler mm-hmm. um, because of that. And so an operation that, um, th- uh, that has that built their operation using that kind of math, they wouldn't be able to just make the switch without adjusting um, how they're uh, heating their operation or controlling um, their environment. So, so one has to look at kind of the, the whole picture of what's going on. Uh, and if someone wanted to really make that adoption, I think it's not just replacing the light source, uh, but they could, they could replace the light source, get those energy efficiency improvements, uh, but then work on um, altering how they grow the plant or change the environment. Yeah, I, and so, I, I think that's the issue for light. Like we're lighting distributors. Right. I sell light bulbs every day. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of us are sort of tentative in this field because 
instead of you know it being used to so people can utilize the space to do whatever it is that they want to do the yep. light is actually part of the production process right right and so changing it is inherently has a, a changing of uh, the effects of what the whatever the crop they're growing is um do you think that um there's going to we're going to see the or has it already happened where institutions like cornell and rensselaer are going to start to produce uh, indoor agricultural engineers, or is there departments that are be, being formed around that indoor farming yeah, idea? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Cornell, our agricultural engineering department is now called biological and environmental engineering. Okay. Um, but but our CEA group before my time at Cornell was founded by an agricultural engineer, Lou Albright, and a plant scientist, Bob Langhans. Okay. And very much that recognition that you need engineering to go along with uh, plant science. Yes. Um, so we continue to um, produce students that, that understand the agricultural environment um, and also have taken like my class on hydroponics so they okay. understand plant production at the same time. Um, we also have a, a large initiative at Cornell that is um, our digital agriculture initiative. So, okay. so more broadly in agriculture, this recognition um, that we need computer scientists and engineers to use their skill sets to solve agricultural problems. Do you believe that in future, like not the in the near future, like in our lifetimes, you're going to see more and more agricultural go agriculture go inside? I mean, like chickens is all inside, right? Right. You know, yeah. like mm -hmm. in the Netherlands, cows are all inside; they're mm -hmm. never outside anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're starting to see the like these uh, downtown farms starting to emerge where they're inside warehouses and close to where the food's being at being eaten and stuff like that. Are we going to see a slow migration of all of our agriculture indoors? Do you think that's the way to go? Is that the the lowest impact on the climate? Is that right, how we right. solve the pollution yeah. problems of the nitrates and uh, all the you know the the fertilizer that gets into the water problem and mm -hmm. you know all that kind of stuff is that the way to solve this problem so i think it'll affect certain sectors of agriculture okay. so like like um high value perishable crops um horticultural crops like fruits and vegetables mm -hmm. um certainly from a freshness and quality standpoint could make sense to grow near population centers and mm -hmm. then do it in a high density fashion where you're very land use efficient uh, that still has a fairly high um, carbon footprint, okay. Um, especially a, a completely indoors in a in a greenhouse where you can use the sun that helps. But when you're when you don't have any sunlight, it gets very expensive to grow crops that way. And so, if we have all renewable energy that's very cheap, um, <laughs> that that's going to really change that dynamic. And that may happen. Sure. In like, but is that twenty years or thirty years? Um, or longer, maybe. Um, but yeah, some of these high-value perishable products that that um, it's going to make sense to grow indoors. Um, things, but it's like, very energy intensive. Yeah, so things like corn and soybeans and wheat, yeah, it's like it's, be in the field. yeah, it's not going to make sense to grow indoors. Yeah, yeah. so those mm -hmm. ca those cash crops that are just four hundred bucks an acre you get for your corn, that's going to be always outside, but, right? And but, those are those are relatively cost effective to ship sure. around the world yeah. by ship. And, they grind yeah. it up and they mm -hmm. ship out the cornmeal, and that's it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, um, what's the future of the of uh, of the this the the what was this thing glaze? Yeah, glaze, I was just gonna ask yes. the greenhouse lighting and systems engineering. Yeah, very good. Of, yes, yeah. that's our acronym. <laughs> so, so we're on year three of our seven year um, project to drive um, energy efficient um, uh, adoption of technologies in greenhouse and indoor production. 
Um, the long-term plan, and, the, and our funder from New York State um, has tasked us with this, is to um, transition to a model where glaze will continue beyond that seven-year period of time. Okay. So, um, so really working to recruit um, uh, partners um, and members, um, as well as going after other um, funding sources um, so that we can respond to, to more of these industry needs and, and keep the, the great research going. So as it stands, we have uh, just over 20 members with kind of more coming in um, every quarter. Okay. Um, and um, so that's, that's been great. And this is only year three. So we think we're well on our way to a, a sustainable um, organization by year seven. Do you think much about what light actually is and how we need to understand it better? Like how coming to understand ah, right, light right. more and more? Like the physics of light yes. or something. Yeah. Um, uh, I would say it doesn't keep me up at night. Um, <laughs> keeps him up. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was pleased to read uh, maybe in the last year or two that someone had actually visualized an individual photon of light. Okay. Um, and so, you know, the looking at the, the basic, the very basic particle of light, the fact that we've seen it now, humans mm -hmm. have, have seen it. And um, to me, that's quite fascinating. Um, but I would say I don't, I don't spend a lot of time on the overall physics of, of light. I think if we unlock the secrets of light, I think we would solve a lot of energy problems and a lot of, um, right, a right. Lot of health yeah. issues. And mm -hmm. we'd solve a lot of growing issues if we really came to have a deep understanding of, of light, even in a spiritual sense. I don't want to go spiritual now, Greg. Yeah, to, yeah. But there's a sense that we're creatures of the light in a sense. And I see well, your light. Absolutely. That's what I'm seeing is your yeah. light in a way. So right? and from a human health perspective, yes. right, all of the effects effects of um, light and circadian rhythm. I was talking with someone recently, essentially working a night shift is considered a carcinogen because there's yes. much higher incidence of cancer sure. when you're working during a time of the day when your body's not used to being Makes awake. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and living in a northern location where we have very little light in the mm. wintertime, there's um, high incidence of SADS in yeah, northern sure. states, um, seasonal affective disorder. Um, and so... Uh, which actually is one of the reasons that I got drawn to working in greenhouses and, and um, being in that lit environment during, sure. during the winter time. Um, so I think, and then I was talking a little bit about um, these eye health pigments like lutein and yeah, zeaxanthin. I saw that. So by in plants, they're actually made as defensive compounds to protect them from high intensity sunlight. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're phytoprotective compounds. And then in humans, so we have to consume um, the, we, we don't make our own lutein and zeaxanthin. We have to consume foods um, like these leafy greens that are high in them mm -hmm. to get these phytoprotective compounds in ourselves. And so mm -hmm. humans take these compounds from plants and we actually direct them toward our macula, so into our eye where they're needed to protect mm -hmm. our eye from high-intensity blue light. Um, and they help um, reduce aging effects on our eyes. So, you know, like, like yes. we evolved alongside plants and alongside sure. light sources. Um, and it's pretty ingenious how we use, we use plants to protect our own eyes. It always blows my mind when you like, when you, when people are talking about artificial intelligence or electric intelligence okay, mm -hmm. or whatever. And they, mm -hmm. Remember the fellow, um, I can't remember his name, but he came on and he said by 2060, we're going to have a computer that's more powerful than all human brains oh, that yeah. ever existed. Right, right. I yeah. can't remember what Singularity. he's got. Singularity. Israel. Yeah. yeah. He's from mm -hmm. Israel, but I, yeah, anyway, he's, he was yeah. episode something on our show and we had a great <laughs> talk with him. But 
I always find it interesting because when you think about um, like your brain and you think about your consciousness, you don't control your own digestion. Like right. think about how magical that process is. Yeah, it's all happening. But yes. Our, right. We're not consciously. No. Yeah, like you, you eat these leafy greens, you're like, I'm gonna yeah. have a salad today. Right. I'm gonna Santa Fe chicken salad. Yeah. Meanwhile, your your stomach goes, ooh, some lutein. Yeah. Let's, uh, whatever. Let's yep. send that up to those eyes up there. Yeah. To protect from the sunlight. That's and, like and that's that, amazing. And that actually. your brain is sending you these signals to crave certain yes. things to meet those physiological. It's needs. unbelievable. Yeah. Man, actually. Mm-hmm. That's really unbelievable. Right. So when they talk about artificial intelligence or electric intelligence, because if it's actually really intelligent, I don't think it'll be artificial. Do you? <laughs> right, right. It'll, it'll, it'll be, be intelligent. Real. Yeah, it'll be yeah right. It's not just imaginary. At yeah, that point. It's yeah. A, you know, it's real. It's not an algorithm. It's, <laughs> right. a, it's an intelligence. Yeah. But you think about that, like that's where I don't think we're close to like having the kind of electric intelligence that sends lutein to your eyes. You know what I mean? Right. Like, that, like yeah. automatically yeah. knows. Mm-hmm. And, we're not close to that, um, but what I did want to what I did wanted to ask about light a little bit here is, and Greg, maybe you can help me a little bit. Do you see academia academia kind of taking a second look at light as a science and as a discipline and as an in, like? There's no lighting engineers, right? right? Like you know, like right, the, yeah. you have electrical engineers that mm-hmm. do light fixtures. Right, mm-hmm. but and then you see, um, you know, Rensselaer and their Lighting Research Center, and mm-hmm. these things starting mm-hmm. to really grow in authority, and these institutions seem to attract more attention and more high-end students, and attract you know yep. more yep. people to them. Are we seeing the emergence of a of another type of ac- an academic academic institution surrounding light and the uses of light, whether it's agriculture, right, or right, Cer- you know, certainly more focus. I'm yes. not sure if they'll turn into like individual departments at universities, sure. but. Absolutely. Like, like from a plant perspective, um, back in the like 1940s and 50s and 60s, a lot of this instrumental lighting work was done with very rudimentary um, techniques. So you sure. take like this um, broad wave band light and then you um, use a prism to separate it out to different wavelengths of light and sure. then look at the effect of like LG exposed to those different wavelengths sure. of light. And you could learn using those rudimentary techniques about the um, receptors that plants have and how they actually respond to light. And that was great. And I was like, okay, well, what do we do with that information? Um, And now fast forward like 50, 60 years. And with LEDs, we have a tool to practically control these in a commercial setting. Mm. Um, So now we can take some of that knowledge that maybe has existed for 60 years, but we couldn't use it in a practical way. And now we can apply it to, um, to better humankind. Mm. Um, so, so to me, that rapid advance implies then there must be more focus on how to then apply those, those tools. And right. part of that relates to, um, that's like, engineering. Yeah. Applied engineering science. and yeah. applied science and, yeah. Um, photometry and light distribution and control and yeah, pow- drivers and power supplies to do this this interesting stuff. Wow! So you have your goal of reducing it by seventy percent from the two thousand fourteen levels, right? Yep. Our so. goal is to reduce um, energy in horticultural lighting by seventy percent. Haven't yeah. you had? You and, know what though? Haven't we? Okay, so I, I'm I'm going to speak on behalf of the lighting business. Okay, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, but I think you know, lighting, uh, lighting people, whatever you, designers, mm-hmm. or distributors, contractors, men, we have done so much inefficiency. 
Right. Like right. this, this mm-hmm. sector has really driven all the efficiency that we've seen in the world, right? mm-hmm. energy savings, mm-hmm. right? I mean, HVAC, you might be able to scrape 15%, 20% right, here right. there, but lighting, you're down 90. You can get down to like 90% with uh, incandescent LED and stuff, right? Right. right. Yeah. Massive. Mm-hmm. I think the conversation uh, surrounding climate science and from academia and that, we can't efficiency our way out of that. Right. We have to right. make clean energy. Absolutely, right? And in terms of making your house more energy efficient or, or like, like say, carbon neutral. Sure. My goal is to make my household carbon neutral. The first thing that you, you, re- you do is you make things more efficient. Sure. And that's great. Maybe you reduced heat loss in your house by sure. 30%. But um, you still need some energy to drive all of these processes. You can't live in Min- like, Minneapolis or Toronto right, without right. energy. Yeah, you can't. Right. It's not a place. So to live. then it's like, okay, then we did the efficiency stuff, and yeah. now we need to look at renewable energy. Sure. And yes, I I need thirty percent less of that energy because I'm more efficient, but right. I still need that energy. So yeah, it's, absolutely. It's need, time for the generation mm-hmm. sector to step up. Right. Right. And, and really. Uh, like, come on, coal-powered energy in 2019? People are yeah, talking about yeah. that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, not, and not to get so political, I, I, right? I mean, but that's not a political have, conversation. Yeah, yeah. It's not. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, like, Ontario is a clean energy jurisdiction. Right. So right. I think it's like uh, we have the low, lowest carbon intensity per kilowatt or megawatt in North America, yeah, next to Quebec. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we're all nuclear, and uh, and then um, we have hydro, and, right, right. and 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 then gas, and then wind and, and solar. Mm-hmm. So that's our mix. But you have places in the United States that are you know a hundred times more uh, carbon intensive than than Ontario. Right, right. Yeah. So many of the Midwest states rely yeah, a lot they, on like coal fired yeah. power plants. Yeah. And why? Like I I don't understand like when it when it comes to that. Everybody's got all this efficiency on one side, but there is, I don't feel the same pressure on the generation side. Right, right. And I think that's where all the answers come to me. Yeah. Well, the, and like I talk about the two go side by side, right? Right. Like, for sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I don't. But there's pressure for people to switch to efficient products. There's rebates. There's that's right. There's action. Yeah. There's conversations. There's conferences. Mm-hmm. We need clean energy, though, man. That's so, what we need. So, and controlled environments are a really good place to address some forms of renewable energy or improved energy. Um, so, cogen systems while right. still using fossil fuel, so natural gas, but you get, you're generating your electrical needs and um, our operations need a large amount of electricity. And then we have all this waste heat that we can use to heat or cool that growing environment sure. that otherwise would have been wasted if it was if it was generated at a power plant and not used for anything. Yeah. Um, and then we take the CO2 from the exhaust and we pump that into the greenhouse to make photosynthesis more efficient. That was fascinating so, when you you were that's how I think it's interesting how you have these agricultural indoor agricultural technicians because they're thinking about HVAC, they're thinking about CO2 levels in the growing space. Right, right. Like mm-hmm. that was fascinating that you the, your yields actually went up quite a bit when you controlled the CO2 at yes, a set level. Yes, right, right. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. That's a good place to store carbon actually. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> So, and then one could think about linking um, these uh, energy producing facilities to a place that can then um, scavenge and use that CO2 and it's not going into the atmosphere, it's going to, to more plant growth and reducing our energy needs for lighting. So that's, that's yeah. not completely renewable energy, but it gets us closer. Um, and then yes, more needs to be done with, with fully renewable energy or nuclear, uh, yeah, non-carbon based energy is what we need, right? I think I said in another podcast, if you burn stuff, you inhale smoke. 
right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Laws of physics. Yeah. So <laughs> where are you guys at in, in your 70% goal? So I would say um, a couple things. Um, we're through um, through this really rapidly growing um, industry and improvements in LEDs. Um, we are close to that 50% energy efficiency target for... Um, for the lights themselves, mm-hmm. um, we have shown in our own university studies that we can reduce um, energy for lighting by like 25% if we can control that light better versus like sure. light threshold control, which is most common in these operations. Mm-hmm. Um, we still need to do more work on improving yields based on spectral control. Um, and then the kind of the overriding factor and how we'll, we'll be judged um, for success on our state funding agency is actual adoption in the industry in in New York State and in the U.S. and in the world. So, um, so working with these uh, Glaze members as well as just other commercial partners um, and making sure that they're adopting um, kind of best in class in class practices uh, that that will show the adoption. And so I think from the science standpoint, we're great, and we ba- we're basically to our goals. And now is like driving adoption. And you think, are you confident it'll get there? I am confident it yeah. will get there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you know what? I, I, I feel like it's inevitable. Like mm-hmm. I, there's been some cycles with this. Like I said, right, there's like, right. like yep. cycles, but you see more and more adoption. Have you guys considered, um, I don't know what it's called, but where an institution will actually spin out a department into a business? Right. Absolutely. What is that yeah. called? Yeah. Yeah, I've, seen, I've heard about like MIT doing it and right, um, right. Uh, Caltech and these, they, they're actually uh, getting together with uh, investors and turning these like, because what you know is actually the technical skill required for implementation, actually. Right, right. Yeah. That's so, a business. So Cornell also has their like business incubator, incubator program. Yes. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And the way that we look at it and part of our seven-year charge is to um, to look at becoming a 5013C. Mm. Um, so maybe not a commercial for-profit, but how can we serve the industry um, better as a separate um, entity that may still have ties with our universities, but we're not reliant on them. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's almost like an, exten- it's a, an extension of the technical skills learned during mm-hmm. the during your grant period or whatever with the with that's the, right yeah, yep. yeah. awesome yep. mm-hmm. dr matson thank you for coming on yeah. and sharing your knowledge with us and absolutely talking about, uh, thanks uh, for inviting yeah, me on the show that. it's a pleasure to be here thanks very much <laughs> here we are Sacco.com. Go to SATCO.com. We do the light thing. We do the right thing. Fun to do these live because that's where the break point is to doing the uh, end of it. Yeah. This is now the end of the show. But and we're streaming this too. This is hilarious. That's awesome. <laughs> but yes, Satco does the right thing. And that's what we touched on at the beginning. Of By supporting stuff. distribution. They support distribution. They support the channel and they have the right product. Great pricing, great service, great people. People behind the product. Ooh, come That's on, man. important in Satco. Alan, Alan Karen's rocking it out. Come on, Alan Karen. And the whole family down at Satco. Go to satco.com. That's satco.com. We do the light thing. We do the right thing. Come on, folks. And the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Go to naild.org. I've been saying that for a long time now. We booked, we booked a couple members in down here in Denver. That's right. We're going to be booking a few more. We want more members. So if you're a distributor, this is your association. Join it. Yeah, and we're going to figure out more how distributors can take advantage of this market. Like, it's not even a question to be Mm -hmm. part. If you're a distributor, you need to be part of Nails. That's right. That's it. Let's go.
And well, we did. And that's another convention in the books, Bob. That is. That was a different one we haven't done before, but yeah, um, something I could see growing as it goes, and or shrinking, or shrinking, or just figuring it out. Once yeah, it's figured yeah, well, out, it's like it out. Hey, we're done. We yeah. did it. We figured it out. Yeah. It's now it's a high pressure LED <laughs> <laughs> coming at you. High pressure LED. High pressure LED coming at filaments. you. It's going to be filaments. Filaments, going yeah, 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 going back to coded filaments. Come on, man. No, to, quantum dot filaments, man. Quantum, quantum dot, dot filaments. <laughs> okay, now we're getting wild and crazy <laughs> and spiritual. All right, folks, thanks for listening. As always, Dr. Matson, thanks for coming on the show and taking the time to chat with us uh, while you're busy at the, at the conference here. That's right. All right, signing off. Thanks, Scott. Bye for now. Wall. There's a sign there for all. If you are lost, the Lord is there to find you. 